Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gens. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, my love. Welcome to another episode of PTA. Yay! Yay! I think this is the closest, these are the two episodes that are closest together that we've ever recorded. Yeah, we, we, we always like go through a cycle where we have three weeks where we're like, we should record. We should record, and then we don't for a month. Well, we have been more regular, that's what she said, for like three months now. I don't get it. Menstrual cycles. Okay. Uh, <laughs> for like three months, you know. So we're, we're, we've been on time for three yeah, months. Yeah, yeah. Are we going to do the Patreon episode? Yes, we need to. So y'all, y'all will subscribe to our Patreon and listen to our Patreon episode of us yes. just bantering for an hour. Or I already did my now. one for March, oh. so we're going to well, be April. Yeah. Well, get out those checkbooks <laughs> next month. Okay, just so you know, it starts at $2 a month. And I don't know a single person who doesn't have $2 a month to uh, hand to a Patreon. So, I mean, I, I don't want to say that, like and be like controversial but you know it's a it's literally like half or a third of a coffee nowadays yeah so coffee's expensive dude i think i spent like six dollars on a coffee the other day see one of those frappuccinos that starbucks has one of those like 12 bucks if you're large or something Wait, really are they on someone drop a comment to how much your starbucks frappuccino costs I, I don't know. I was getting a tea latte, but it was an eight ounce, like no nonsense. It did have oat milk in it, so I'm sure that was an extra charge. Oh. I don't believe that. These frappuccinos are like seven. I think okay, these like are seven. these are four fifty, but I guess the large ones must be like seven. A venti. It's, a venti. Oh, that's hot coffee and hot tea. Maybe this is not this the is best not way the to way. be spending our episode. Oh, yeah. venti frappuccino, six dollars. There you go. Yeah. I would say around six to seven dollars. Yeah. Anyway. Also yeah. depending on your area and if you yeah. get it at an airport. <laughs> yeah. 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 Our coffee budget's gonna be airport friendly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Alright, John, what are we talking about today? Genesis eight and nine. It is the rest of Noah's flood. Noah's Ark. Yep. Uh Chapter 9 is interesting. It's a little I fancy. liked Chapter 9. Uh, chapter 8 is just a continuation of what we were going yeah. over last week with Chapter 7. Yeah, with Chapter 7. Um, anything notable that you thought about Chapter 8? I have a couple things. I had forgotten how many times he sends a bird out. It's like four or five times. Yeah, because first he sends the raven. I find it really Does interesting. Does the raven just die? Well, because the raven flies around for like a week. Where, 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 where is it? Sent out a raven and it flew back and forth until the water dried up. That's like three weeks. Verse uh, 8, 7. Um, yeah, I, well, I was, I was wondering about that too. Because like, <clears throat> it seemed, it seemed odd to me that he would like exchange the raven for a dove maybe just because the dove was more loyal or something 
And the raven could fly for longer because it's stronger. Well, what, what's the point of setting the raven out for so long? Because, I mean, it's literally just a sentence. Versus six and seven, where it's like, oh, he sent out a dove. And the dove flew around. Let's forget about you mean it now. The raven. the raven, yeah. The dove goes later. The raven. Um, well, I think it speaks maybe it's symbolic. That's what I was thinking, is that the raven is a symbol for like, you know, a keen hunter. It's a very smart bird. And then like the dove is like the the one that brings back the olive leaf, which is a sign. It's like the olive leaf has a specific symbolism in the Bible. I forget what it is though. Well it, it, it's the peace thing or is that yeah, like, like Something like that, where there's, like, olive leaf is, like, has some kingdom symbol. We should look it up, probably, but... Google. That was sort of my interpretation of it, is that each of the birds had different strengths and different, like, aptitudes that were melded to the, to the task. Peace and reconciliation. Well, that makes sense, because the dove is... Symbolizing the reconciliation yeah. and peace after the flood on Earth. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, I mean, interesting. It's just kind of like a paragraph about both of these birds, man. I thought it was really ingenious, like, <laughs> that they used the birds for that purpose. Because, I mean, you know, Noah could not see... Noah's perspective was probably very, very limited from the ark itself. Um, so he just had his little window, and he was like, "Here, birds, <laughs> be my eyes." Yeah. So I kind of, I thought it was kind of ingenious that he kind of used these birds in this way. And then the, like, I don't know, I thought it was kind of sad that the dove never came back to him, like the third or fourth time. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of serves as that, you know, reconciliation with kind of God and humanity, and then it just leaves and just dies. No, it doesn't die. I think it. I. He waited seven more days, and then the dove didn't return. Maybe yeah, it just settled thought, back its nature. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Yeah. I was like, the dove was the first animal to be allowed to repopulate the earth. Yeah. Because he brought yeah. back an olive branch, so there were trees. I was like, dude, it must have just found its favorite tree and just yeah. like settled there. That was my vision. I hope it so, did. So I mean, die. I mean, it, it's kind of like the you know reconciliation between God and humanity bringing yeah. the leaf and then also reconciliation between god and nature yeah where nature can finally kind of settle back into itself i also found like the um idea of water or like the symbol of water as something that cleanses and something that yeah. purifies to be really strong here like in verse 21 um well, verse 21 is the um, the sacrifice that Noah makes. Yeah, because um, this was sort of like the water has purified, right? And so they're like, quote-unquote, baptism has been this flood. And then as a conclusion of the flood, the Lord says, and they sacrifice. And the Lord says, like, look, I'm not going to curse the ground because of humans again. You know, it's sort of that, like, conclusion, like, I remember when I got baptized, which was in college, um, after, like, I had been trying to get baptized, for the record, for, like, six years at that point, or even longer than that. Um, but yeah, you know, as the conclusion, there's sort of that, like, welcoming into the church or into, like, you know, the group of people who 
have helped to baptize you. Um, and, you know, at least, at least in our church, that was how it happened. And yeah. I kind of saw this as something very similar in tone where God is kind of saying like, look, like you've been baptized, you've done the sacrifice. It's now time to have something from you as well. This really feels like the type of vibe of like a, like a spring rain that just finished to me. Kind of like how you can feel kind of like how everything's still moist and damp and there's dew everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like you wake up to kind of like fog in the morning and it's a little chilly, but everything's kind of still damp and dewy. That's that that's what this kind of the vibe this gives me. This chapter. Yeah, that's yeah, cozy. Yeah. I, I think though the main thing I was interested in is there's four or five references to like the water decreasing and then it's like, you know, every time I run I was like, oh, the water's gone. And then two cents later, the water decreased. Oh, it's gone now. The water decreased like four times. So I don't know if you noticed that when you made it that, but like... It's a, a lot of water, you know? Yeah. Because it's like the rains have to stop because it rains for 150 days, right? But then, like, that's the water cycle doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, you kind of have to. Yeah, but, you know, like. like you the know. rain recycles over and over on the face, on the surface of the earth. That's how I see it. Right? Well, because God says, like, the first verse, it says, like, God sent a wind over the earth and the water is receded. Um, and then rain stops falling. And then the water receded steadily. <laughs> on the seventh day, the ark came to rest. At the end of the 150 days, the water had gone down. The waters continued to recede. <laughs> uh, so it's, I mean, just constantly, I mean, you know, that's, I, I read it's it like slightly four. out of order, but it's like five verses in a row where every sentence is the waters receding, the waters receding, Dude, the waters that receding. Was a, I think maybe it's just like, that's an immense Just a flood. lot of water. A yeah. lot of water. <laughs> but like, you know. Is that the only way to convey a lot of water scene? Is just stating it all over again? Like, maybe I'm reading too far into it. I mean, it's just like it. Be okay. It's not the way I would interpret it. Is that if you start something that massive, it's gonna take a, a massive effort to redo that action. You know what I mean? Like, once you do a major project, it just takes a long time to. Wind that back down. But, I mean, you know, if I might jump ahead to chapter 9 for a second, I mean, when, when, when it mentions, you know, when Noah dies, it's like, oh, the flood happened, and then he just kind of lived 300 more years, and then he died. So why isn't it kind of the same thing here, where, like, the water is receding for 200 days, and then it was gone? <laughs> why, you know, why, why the differentiation here between Noah, this big, important figure who, you know, who have a third of his life just gets a passing mention in a sentence because, versus... Because Noah's main role is over. The Bible is a story as well. Yeah. The Bible is also literature. Um, and, you know, a way to engage your reader is to only look at things that become important. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and I guess, like, to your question or to your examination, like, yeah, like, maybe the rest of Noah's life like is just kind of summarized because the water is receding and that huge process and effort that it takes for them to recede yeah. is more important than what Noah accomplishes in the rest of his life, yeah. which is kind of sad actually. <laughs> but, but I don't know. I like, I, you know, there, I think for me on this immediate 
answer, like the Bible's literature, like it's good storytelling to talk about that process. Maybe that process becomes really important to kind of show us the gravity of what God does afterwards, which is make a covenant with Noah. Yeah. Should we chat about the covenant? Let's do it. Also, I wanted to put a sidebar in here. Um, Erwin McManus was talking on Battle Ready, the Battle Ready podcast. Shout out to them. They're awesome. Um, About how he thinks the more we find out about science, the more science will confirm the Bible. I think this is fascinating. I talk about this all day. I know. I think that's amazing because I was at the Field Museum in Chicago for the first time and it was talking about like a lot of evolution and they were trying to prove that like Neanderthals were a different species genetically than like humans, homo sapiens. And I just, I was like fascinated by it because I was like, you know, I think the more that we know about, you know, evolution scientifically, the more that we know about the earth scientifically, the more that we're going to understand the conditions that the Bible also portrays. I went to a, a Jesuit Catholic high school, uh, and my, my AP bio teacher, junior year, was kind of like, listen, folks, like, if you really think about it, everyone always like, oh, like, the, you know, bi- the Bible and science can't coexist. And then she was like, you know, if you really think about it, if you think, like, all that we know about evolution and the planet and, like, everything about how, like, the earth just happens to be perfectly set up for human life with the proportions of like the air, you know, the, the gases in the air, the proportions in our bodies, the proportions of like the create, like the setup of the earth. She was like, when you think about how intricate that all is, how easily life could just be wiped out of one single evolutionary trade is off. It's actually crazy. And she's like, why do people not think that this just proves there is some, you know, like whether or not it's it's a whole different conversation if we want to call it a god or not. But she was like, "Why do you just not think that there has to be a creator that just made it? You know, because yeah. it's so intricate, it's so delicate. Like there had, like, why do people think that that you know religion and science can't coexist when like it, it seems like it's so easy to kind of correlate them?" Mm-hmm. And like Darwin was a devout Christian, and like he he made his theories not to go against Christian doctrine. I think, like, he, throughout his life, from what I've heard in various books on Darwin, um, he faced a lot of pressures because he knew that as soon as his theory of evolution was published, it was going to be used against the kingdom of God in order to kind of create or um, strengthen the atheistic views of the time. And so I think, you know, it's really fascinating that, like, even our found, founding theory, like the founding sort of atheist theory, you know, that says like, look, science is pitted against religion. It disproves it. Like even that goes a long way towards Christianity. Hello, welcome back. We had to take a hiatus because we had to eat dinner. <laughs> but here we are, two days later, three days later, finishing Genesis 9. We had an exciting date this morning. We is this something that like a legal proceeding will tell us not to talk about that we witnessed a hit and run? We witnessed a hit and run. You get no more information than that, humble listener. Until the court inevitably clears us after it inevitably asks us to do a high stakes televised 
testimony uh, in the Supreme Court and you'll hear about us. <laughs> and we'll shout out the PTA podcast. We'll say, what did you do? Oh, we saw the hit and run. And then you went home to record our podcast party in the Atlantic. This chaotic energy today, I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. I, I don't know what to tell you. Maybe I need to like go sprint a marathon or something. I think you should go run today. You mm-hmm. won't have time. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow. Okay. You have a lot of energy. Yes. That's mm-hmm. what I'm commenting on. I love yeah. you, and you have a lot of energy right now. You're bouncing around, forgetting to put the tea box back in the cupboard. Your socks are in a different place than your shoes. My socks are on my feet. This morning. Oh. Yeah. That doesn't count. Yeah, it does. <laughs> All right. We're going to hop into Genesis chapter 9. It struck me when I first read this how similar the covenant that God strikes with Noah is to the covenant that he strikes with Adam and Eve. And I know that Adam and Eve is like a different circumstance because it's the first time God creates humans in general. So it's the first time he has a relationship with humans. But And this is a formal covenant that he makes. But it does strike me the similarity. He just kind of transfers to Noah and, what was to Adam and Eve. I mean, in some sense, though, you could still argue that this is his first covenant with humans. Of course, Adam and Eve is like a first first human, but like he just wiped out all of humanity and is you know basically charging Noah with restarting. Right. So you know, in in, in that sense, he's he's really like. You know, he's wiped the earth clean, and I think there's something to be said for the interpretation that he's starting earth anew. He's starting creation anew, you know? He has just a clean slate with his fresh, new, kind of purified, approved people and animals, and now he is committed. He's never going to wipe out all of humanity. humanity again and, you know, kind of focus on this. I think it's really, like, he, it's kind of like a new order, hashtag Star Wars, Um, but, like, you know how in verse 5 it says, uh, this is chapter 9, verse 5, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal, and from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. So it's kind of like, he's setting the score, he's setting humanity up for a new age, I guess. Like yeah. it, it almost seems like a reference to Cain here, what he's talking about. Yeah. And then he uh, introduces the rules for, what I interpreted as the rules for kosher eating in verse 4. Um, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. I think that is just, you know, sort of starting off these newer rules where God is regulating um, and giving more direction to human life. I'm curious what you think about the rainbow as symbolism here. He oh, I wrote that down. He mentions it multiple times. You know, he, first in like the, I think verse, is verse 13, the first time I've set my yeah. rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant. 
And then, I mean, just keeps mentioning, whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears, I will, you know, remember my covenant. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember. That's, you know, verses 14, verse 16. Um, and, I mean, just, it's so repetitive how many times, pretty much verbatim, it's two or three times, almost in a row, when he says, whenever I see the rainbow, I'll remember the covenant. Whenever I see the rainbow, I'll remember the covenant. This is the covenant of the rainbow. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that, like, that's one of the natural symbols that we have in the world that's just kind of, like, it is kind of magical, like, the trick of light that rainbows get to play on the landscape, and we get to see rainbows even today, so it's, like, one of those, like, things where it ties us right now back to Noah, where the first meaning of the rainbow was, you know, sort of crafted, I was thinking a lot about St. Patrick's Day because St. Patrick's Day is coming up and the Chicago River is dyed green right now. Yeah. Yeah. And with vegetable dye, apparently. One of our quirkier traditions here. I want to see it. I've never seen it green. Oh, we should do that. When? Soon. Go this week, see if it's still dying. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Um... But I was thinking about St. Patrick's Day and how the leprechaun is associated with the rainbow. And, like, the leprechaun is an early paganist symbol that used to be, like, a fairy. Um, and it's also associated with, like, the gold coins, like, riches and wealth, which I think is, like, not that far off from what God's meaning is. Like, the covenant is a pool of wealth, in my view. So I think it's really interesting how the rainbow has kind of adapted these different connotations over time, including now, like, the gay flag. Which is interesting, you know, now that you mention it. Yeah. Side digression. If we're considering, like, the rainbow and the covenant and the gay flag, we've been talking lately a lot about gayness and how that relates to, to faith and religion. Mm-hmm. And kind of seeing people that are that identify us as, 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 you know, LGBTQ plus or whatever, as still made lovingly by God and how that, you know, how we can view the gay pride flag still in correlation with the covenant with God. I haven't decided whether it's an appropriation of the rainbow. I, I don't think, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know the history. So maybe like, like if, if, if I'm making a completely off statement here, like someone come find well, me, let me know. Maybe because I was thinking that like each color was a different, is that true? Like each color in the rainbow is a different identity? This is a good question for Google. Um, but I think either way, like, 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 like it's a good message because even if that's not where it comes from, then you know, God still sees the flag and is reminded of God's covenant with Noah. Or God's because God's seeing the rainbow. Um, I don't know. I'm gonna have to think about this one more because I kind of saw it more on the lines of not so uh, similar to the appropriation of like St. Patrick's Day and the rainbow. Like just having the rainbow as a symbol but taking it out of context yeah. and appropriating it in a different light. Yeah. Well, if if people like Britannica, um, who is who is this Gilbert Baker? If people know who that is, saw the rainbow as a natural flag from the sky and adopted eight colors of the stripes. Um, 
hot pink for sex, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for art, indigo for harmony, and violet for spirit. Okay. So it, it, it seems kind of like taking, like, like being able to connect everything in the rainbow with an important part of, of I guess, gay identity and life and creation in general, maybe. So, I mean, yeah, maybe it's not directly because of this verse, but I, I, I think there's still something to be sad about how like you can make to kind of make a jump from one to the other, make the connection. Cause it's still, it's still like a, it's still nature focused, at, at least according to Britannica. So, yeah, but this is one of the things where I don't completely agree. Actually. I think, um, nowadays symbolism, especially in things like the church, especially in things like different clubs and movements is completely detached from the meaning of the symbol. I don't think that, I mean, I have no idea for the record, but, um, you know, I've never heard these different, like, associations and symbols of the colors before, and I'm not yeah. sure they are widely understood or widely known. Yeah. And I'm not sure, like, I, you know, I can see a situation where, like, I'm a part of clubs, for example, that have these really old symbols or these symbols that have different animals or colors on them. And I have no idea what the colors mean. I just adopt the symbol because the club is part of my identity. Yeah. And I can see the same thing happening here where people don't really know or honor the symbolism of the flag. Yeah. And so it, it begs to question. It's the same thing in the church. Like in old Catholic churches, all of the idols on the church, like people don't know the stories behind them anymore because literacy changed the way that people interacted with church, the church as a space. Yeah. Um, and so when we see, you know, a, uh, an altar, for example, with an altar piece on it, and there's a story, you know, that's not something like St. George and the dragon or like, some, yeah. you know, the resurrection or whatever. Um, if it's not a recognizable story immediately, there's no real association with that symbol. And so the symbol, you know, we can appreciate it as art. We can appreciate it for, you know, just the, the piece of artwork or the thing within itself. But that connection to the meaning is lost. And I'm not sure if that there's that. You see what I'm trying to say? Like, yeah. I'm not sure if yeah. the connection to spirituality or creation is still there with things like the gay flag if the symbol isn't honored in the way that it was meant to be yeah. honored. Interesting thought. Yeah, I mean, various colors came to reflect both immense diversity and unity of the LGBTQ community. So yeah, kind of not quite the same meaning as originally created in, what, in 78? So. We'll link the Britannica article in the show notes at yeah. relevanceofliterature.com slash notes. Should we uh, should we get to the second half of the second half of this uh, article? Oh, you mean ham? Yeah, <clears throat> uh, the verse, the chapter. Yeah. So this um, the arc story kind of ends in the first half of chapter nine. So yeah. we have to you know the first seventeen verses is you know the the flood's gone pretty much. God sees creation says I'm never going to do this again makes a covenant and then uh, Noah and his sons take up the next 10 or so verses um, and pretty much Noah gets drunk his son sees him and is kind of laughing and then you know summons the other brothers who cover Noah 
and the first son who left becomes a slave to Noah for having laughed yeah at Noah's drunkenness and nakedness yeah this is the insidious thing about this section of the Bible is that from what I have heard this section of Ham seeing Noah naked and being cursed to slavery and all of his descendants being cursed to slavery was used in the U.S. as justification for slavery, yeah. which is horrible and demeaning and wrong. Um, and it's just, it's I don't get that from these verses. I see, you know, a son that was, you know, disobedient maybe and is punished for it in the highest way possible, which is the way that the Old Testament rolls. But, yeah, what is your take on that? Why is Ham punished? What exactly is he punished for? We talked about this a little bit off air. Well, yeah, because we were thinking about, like, just general rules of modesty. Um, because the, the, the exact verbiage here, it's uh, the NIV version of the Bible. Uh, if you're curious, um, Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shevan Jephthah took a garment and laid across the shoulder. So it's a very, it's a very quick, um, it's a quick reference of Ham just kind of sees Noah drunk and naked, yeah. and then gets his brothers, and that's that's all that we get. Yeah. Um, which I, you know. I think I, I, I had to kind of look through it a couple times and just, you know, kind of be like, huh, interesting. But, yeah, we, we, we talked a bit about modesty and, you know, kind of like 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 what it means to see your father naked and, and vulnerable in that situation yeah. and still not taking action immediately because then the next verse, you know, the next sentence is the other two brothers... Um, they don't even, it, it doesn't even say that they see, uh, see Noah. So it's, so, you know, kind of, which I also think is fascinating of how we compare Ham who looked and then saw Noah in kind of like, not only like looked at Noah, but also saw like a man that was, you know, you could debate negligence that was, you know, absent or whatever, and saw all of it, and just decided to say, you know, like slander or mock Noah. He made a spectacle of Noah. Yeah, versus the other siblings, just you know, they don't look for that. They don't try to find fault in Noah, who's his holy figure. They instead just cover him up, and I guess in some sense keep him holy. Um, and I think you know, kind of that dichotomy of protecting. Protecting people as holy in a situation like that is something we can talk about later, but I, I, I think it's an interesting dynamic to say that, you know, Ham saw all of this in Noah, and then boom, he's a slave. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's weird, because, like, in a sense, Noah digs Ham's grave for him. <laughs> like, yeah. he's the one who gets intoxicated and, you know, lies naked. Yeah. So it's really interesting how, you know, the situation was present and then Ham reacted in a way that was not favorable um, and then reaped the consequences later. Yeah, yeah. 
I think that can be, you know, sort of a a guidepost for us too. Like there are situations that the situation isn't our fault, but the way that we respond to it is. You know, and there's some Yeah. I, I guess like even the hit and run, like that was kind of a crazy situation. We couldn't control anything about it other than how we responded yeah. to what we saw. I, I, I think it's I, I I don't know what you think about kind of like the protective Noah's holiness here, if you think mm-hmm. there's any merit to that interpretation but i do think it's 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 an interesting thought you know how how like are we called to do that by this verse like is that something that is endorsed by the bible or is you know am i totally off here because i think if we read it that way then that opens up an entirely new pathway for how we (coughs) handle you know things in the church how we handle like priests and clergy that 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 act (laughs) in unholy ways and how to how to deal with that how to respond to it um what do you mean exactly so you know i'm, I'm thinking of for example like the the sex scandal in the catholic church mm-hmm. of you know do we protect like you know if we can read this verse as just kind of protecting holy people and, and kind of covering up their mistakes does this mean that we cover up for the priests and i you know for, for me the easy answer is no of course we don't I think um, you're extrapolating a little bit too much. Perhaps. But, you know, yeah, I mean, because I'm just interested in, in, in Ham is the only one here in these verses that is said to see his father. Mm-hmm. So maybe, you know, maybe there's another interpretation, but I really think that, that, that it's fascinating that he sees his father and Shem and uh, Japheth, their faces were turned away. They were turned the other way. So they could not, you know, like this was these as they could not see or would not see their father make it. Yeah. Um, we also, you know, we have to put this in context here because we don't know what nakedness, what, you know, specifically the nakedness of a parent represented during this time. They were the only humans left on earth as well. Like, yeah. you know, there's like that whole context here that I think is really important for digesting these verses. And it seems like, you know, the nakedness of a parent was something that, you know, the children should not have taken lightly like Cam did. And whether that was a statement on holiness, I don't know, because I don't know the context of this very well. But I think, you know, to say that, like, I think that holiness is sacred and it's protected and, you know, it's worthy of being those things. But, you know, to extrapolate as far as, like, covering up for holy people and their sins like you know there's no I don't I don't think there's any justification for that um yeah you know it's it's not our job to expose other people's sins necessarily but I do think um you know that just sweeping things under the rug and pretending that they don't exist isn't a productive pastime for us yeah, I mean, maybe it's just an issue of not, you know, exactly as you said, not they're sweeping it under the rug, but they're just, it's not their role to, to expose Noah's sin. Yeah, that could be a good, I feel like that's a more balanced interpretation of it, because, yeah, like, if I think about it, like, Christians are the worst people. Like, we can be the worst. Yeah. Like, the most hating, like, malicious people out there can be Christians, because we're human, too. You know, that's not an excuse, but I think that, like, there is a lot of sin, there's a lot of, 
just like hatred in the church and from Christians that like we tend to sweep under the rug because we have some sense of like entitlement to the holiness that we're around on sun on Sundays. And I just yeah. yeah, there's no excuse for that. Yeah. Of course, you know, the the last two verses are Noah living a thousand years. <laughs> Wait, nine hundred and fifty. We're right back to numerology. <laughs> numerology won't let go. No, it won't. Noah's life is just yeah. The last three hundred fifty years are just in yeah. one sentence. I I will say, um, you know, a little side note. Ham doesn't become Noah's slave. He could he becomes slave to Shem. He becomes yes. slave to his brother. Yeah. Huh. That's to his brothers. Yeah. yeah. Both of them. Interesting that, that that he is the slave to, to the people that did better than he did, not the person that he wronged necessarily. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a corollary to some of the um, stories that are told later in the Bible. Yeah. Like in the New Testament, we'll yeah. have to. It's gonna take us ninety years to get there. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, anything else for these verses? I do want to say, by the way, that my arguments against this, you know, Christian symbolism of the gay flag don't mean that I'm against gay people by any means, like, at all. I also wanted to, like, emphasize the symbolism of um, the symbols in the church in the same vein in order to compare, like, we just have a loss of symbolism in our culture altogether. But just for the record here, no, yeah. nothing against yeah. the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to say? I think that's all for me. Okay. Okay. Well, y'all, thank you for hanging in there with us. My cold is still fighting me. Yeah. But, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Until next time. Bye. I love Bye. you. I love you.